Before we start the show, I need your help. World Builder Blog, that's my blog, has been nominated for an Any Award, and the voting starts today. That's July 11th. Please go to any-awards.com and vote not just for World Builder Blog, if you love the blog, or one of the other awesome blogs. I The competition is stiff, so go vote for somebody, and then also vote for the rest of the awards. There are a ton of great RPG products. And this is a big award that people get a lot of recognition from. You only have until July 21st, so go and vote. It'll take five minutes, and you'll be doing the RPG industry a huge favor. And hey, if you're going to Gen Con, Jeff Greiner, Rudy Basso, and I will all be there. If you want to see us, we're going to be doing a live roundtable at 5 p.m. the Friday of Gen Con. That's 5 p.m. on Friday, August 5th in the Crown Plaza in Grand Central Ballroom D. We're going to be joined by fan-favorite panelists Liz Tice, Dan Dillon, and Sean Merwin. It's going to be totally free, so get your tickets now. After the panel, join us at Rock Bottom Brewery in downtown Indianapolis near the convention center at 7 p.m. for drinks, food, and games. Then I've got a movie. That's right, I'm a filmmaker. It's a movie I wrote, directed, and produced with my partner Jay Lechko, and it's premiering at Gen Con. Nightbirds, that's night with a K, is a six-minute-long short film that's a superhero comedy. It's part of the superhero block on 7 p.m. August 6th, the Saturday at Gen Con. That's also totally free, so check it out and go support my movie, Nightbirds. That's night with a K. Finally, I have the honor of leading a panel at Gen Con. I will be moderating the Digital Future of D&D 5th Edition at 2 on the Saturday of Gen Con in Crown Plaza Grand Central Ballroom C. The SRD is shaking up the landscape for D&D digital tools. Which tools will make an impact? What's on the horizon? Leading companies share their visions and answer your questions. Get your free tickets to this event now. There's going to be all kinds of great people there. Drive Through RPG, Sirenscape, Lone Wolf Development, Mesa Mundi, Smiteworks, and yours truly will all be there at this panel. It's going to be super, super informative. Please go check it out. Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intricasso. If you're listening for the first time, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a huge favor. Give us a great rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. It takes 30 seconds of your time. I read one new five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Here are the words of... The Quantum, with a review entitled, Got Me Back Into D&D. As a lapsed gamer who hasn't played in 30 years, I have to credit the Tome Show crew for inspiring me to start playing again and getting up the nerve to DM my first game. I'm hooked, and I can't think of a podcast that has such an impact on my life, opening me up to a new world of creativity and an amazing bunch of people who I've met while gaming. Thanks for sharing your love of gaming. Keep it up, Sam. Keep it up, Sam! I'm not sure if this person is named Sam or if they're telling our illustrious and amazing Tome Show editor, Sam Dillon, to keep it up. Uh, But either way, The Quantum, thank you so much for this review. You keep up the awesome gaming. It's really great to hear stories like this. It makes doing all this podcasting worth it. Please go give us a five-star review on iTunes. This was the last one for America. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store that also exists online, and they specialize in all kinds of great out-of-print products and new products that you can go there to buy. I'm not just talking about RPG products, people. I'm talking about miniatures, dice. They got everything. Anything you need for your game, you can find it there. The pick for today's episode is Monty Cook's World of Darkness. Why is it Monty Cook's World of Darkness? Because Monty Cook is my guest on the show today. More on that in a moment. But first, 
What is Monty Cook's World of Darkness? It's a place very much like our world, sharing the same history, culture, and geography. Superficially, most people in this fictional world live the same lives as we do. Eat the same food, wear the same clothes, waste time watching the same TV shows. And yet, in the world of darkness, shadows are deeper, nights are darker, and fog is thicker. That is some awesome stuff. You definitely want to check out this product. It is 386 pages and is currently only $22 from Noble Knight. For a book that was originally $50, you're getting it for more than half off. $22 at noblenight.com. Let's hear a quick word from them. Support for The Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? Knight. Knight? Thousands of tabletop gamers. Use a Noble Knight. To sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. It's trying to sound creepy, though. All right, everybody. Today's guest is the one and only Monty Cook. Monty Cook is a game designer with credits miles and miles long. Highlights include he helped work on third edition D&D. He helped create Planescape. He's the designer behind the Cypher system, which gives you Numenera, the Strange, Gods of the Fall, No Thank You Evil. We get into Monty's history. We talk about some of his latest blog posts and other news that he has to share, what he's going to be doing at Gen Con. It is really awesome. This is like getting a master class in game design. Uh, I can't wait to share this interview with you. Just so everybody knows, the panel format of this show will be coming back uh, next week. We're going to have some great guests on to talk about the most recent D&D movie news. If you buy anything from the Monty Cook Game Store at montycookgames.com, use the coupon code TOMESHOWJULY2016 at checkout, and you will get $5 off your order. That's an exclusive deal that they've got just for Tome Show listeners. Tome Show July 2016. Uh, So make sure you use it if you're interested in buying any of the products that Monty and I talk about. All right, let's roll the interview. Okay, everybody, now I am here with the one and only Monty Cook. Monty, welcome to the roundtable today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad glad to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming. Uh, this is a real dream come true. You are a superstar game <laughs> designer. Uh, you know, I've been playing games that you've written, uh, God, since I was, you know, nine or 10 years old. Uh, so it's really, really awesome to have you here. Uh, we're definitely going to talk about what you're up to and kind of what's going on in the news of the world and everything. But, uh, but first, uh, can you take me like all the way back? When did you first lay hands on a tabletop role-playing game? Oh, right. Um, well, so I was about 10 years old. Uh, I basically, I heard these two kids, these two brothers, um, we were in Sunday school actually. Um, (laughs) and they were talking about the night before and I was just kind of sitting next to them and they were talking about something to do with graph paper and, you know, a magical crown and some traps. And I had no idea what they were talking about, but (laughs) it sounded really, really interesting to me. I really wanted in. So I asked them about it and, uh, uh, ended up playing uh, original D and D, you know the the little booklet D and D pre pre first edition, and uh, and playing with them for a little while. Um, but I didn't actually. I mean, that's it was their it was their stuff, their game. I didn't actually like buy my first product until quite a bit later um, when I wanted to start my own game, and I uh, I bought the brand new first edition dungeon master's guide when it first came out and uh that that and, you know sat down and read it from cover to cover uh which was a confusing experience <laughs> uh, so i didn't really understand i didn't like i didn't know what hit dice were i, I didn't understand the difference between hit dice and hit points um and uh, they're just like because you know it's the dungeon master's guide it's not the player's handbook it's not the, you know it doesn't explain everything um but uh but i still play i still ran a game um you know made up kind of i, I filled in the gaps right of, of the stuff that i didn't understand or wasn't explained in that particular book or the things that I sort of half remembered 
from playing original D&D. And, and who knows, maybe that's kind of what set me on the path to game design was, you know, sort of the, you know, I, I had to, I had to make up, up some new stuff or I couldn't play. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes perfect sense, right? Like you were a designer from really the moment you started playing. And when you talk yeah. to a lot of people who started in the, you know, the first edition days, that was kind of the, how they did it. They were like, oh, I only had a, a monster manual or I only had a dungeon master's guide. And I sort of had to make up the rest as I went along. Um, so, and I feel like even if you had the complete rules, it, it took a long time for, especially if you were 10, you know, to kind of make sense of everything that makes perfect sense. So it what point then uh, did you decide, like, you know, this is a thing I think I could do for a living? Well, um, you know, I have a I have another kind of moment there as well. Uh, I was about 14 years old, and I was in a bookstore looking for, you know, the latest cool D&D thing, hoping that there was something new. Because there, there often wasn't, right? It didn't, <laughs> that stuff didn't come out very often. Um, but I walked in, and there was a brand new module, brand new adventure called Dwellers of the Forbidden City. And the reason that that was important to me personally was uh, it had the the author's name on it, which was David Cook. And, you know, it you know, that's my last name, right? <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, 14-year-old logic, right? That was like the first time I'd ever thought to myself, oh, you know, it's actually somebody's job to make this stuff, right? I never really thought about it before then. It was just, just you know, D&D just sort of existed. It, it wasn't created by someone. Um, and so that was the moment where I said, if, if this really is somebody's job, if that is a job that a person can have, then I want that to be my job. And uh, I kind of set myself on that on that path right then and there. That's awesome. So how did you follow that path, you know, to, to kind of get to where you are today? Well, you know, um, obviously at 14, there wasn't a whole lot I could do other than <laughs> uh, keep on playing a lot of games. But when I went to college, you know, I had a lot of different ideas of, of what to study, what to major in and stuff. But ultimately, I, 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 have, I have what I, I call the D&D degree. Or, uh, which is, uh, I majored, in, I have a double major in uh, uh, history, ancient history, and English with a focus in creative writing. So I figure, well, okay, this, this gets me a lot of, you know, ancient and medieval stuff, and it gets me writing and, and whatnot. So uh, that's, that's what I focused on. And, uh, you know, I, I published my first game product while I was still in college and, uh, and started working for a company called Iron Crown Enterprises that did the Rollmaster game at the time. And that's kind of how I got my start in the industry was with them. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And then, I mean, you've gone on to work on all kinds of stuff from there. Uh, you know, uh, you've worked on a couple of editions of D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. uh, you've worked with a lot of other great uh, people. And now you, you know, you have Monty Cook Games, um, which has really uh blown up into something really special i think um you know numenera the strange uh the, the whole cipher system uh now no thank you evil you know um there's this whole generation of people who are going to get into role playing games thanks to you know something you helped develop and create um uh so this this company that you've started sort of once you were in the industry for a while and then you were creating your own company what were the the different challenges there uh, because i do think like oh when you get to when you make your own company right like you get to make your own thing right your name's on the company you kind of get to make whatever you want but then there are there's this whole new set of challenges now uh in being a business person that you kind of have to deal with it's very very true um and i got here kind of by stages you know i i started working um you know full-time in-house uh, with Iron Crown Enterprises, like I mentioned, after I got out of college, uh, I started actually. I worked so I worked for a free as a freelancer for them. Then I worked full time for them. Um, eventually, did some more freelance work, and then ended up at TSR and Watsi, of course. And then when I left Wizards of the Coast in two thousand and one, uh, I started what I referred to at the time as a game design studio. And the reason that I, I put it that way, and not like a game company 
is because um, this this was uh, the studio is called Malhavik Press, and Malhavik Press we had a partnership with White Wolf and the you know the, the people who do World of Darkness and Vampire, and and basically our the way our partnership worked was we did all the design we we turned over sort of a manuscript that was written and edited and 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 had art and was laid out and everything so it was all the creative aspects to it and then they handled the printing and the warehousing and the sales and all that stuff sort of the the not fun stuff <laughs> and uh and so you know that was like one step toward where i am now because then with Monty Cook Games, Monty Cook Games is a is a full company, right? We we do all those things. We are we we you know manage the printing and the sales and and everything. Um, and so th- that worked out really well for me because you know when you're when you're a game designer, uh, uh, unless you really focus on it, unless you really like try to figure it all out, you don't necessarily know anything about the rest of the of the process right you 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 write the product and and you turn it over and then you know some kind of magic happens behind the curtain and you know a year later or whatever there's a there's a book mm-hmm. and uh you know you have no idea how it actually gets into the customer's hands or whatever and it's it's very involved process there's a lot going on with with all the different aspects of things and so you know i've been doing this for um, you know, 28 years, I guess. And, and really I sort of feel like there are still aspects to the whole industry that I'm still learning. Um, there's, there's a lot to it. So it's, it's, it's a continual learning process. Sure. Yeah. And I think as technology changes and how people play games differently, you know, it's, you kind of got to be on top of that too, right? The, the whole publishing industry, whether you're making magazines, whether you're making role-playing games or newspapers, it's all changing right now. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and being on top of that is is uh, is definitely a challenge. And I think one of the things that uh, that I love about you guys is you really seem to understand Kickstarter very early, and kind of um, the the way that that becomes an event, and the way that people become excited about a product, and you get to see the whole community kind of rally around a, a Kickstarter. I think is really great. Um, you know, and, and you've had many successful Kickstarters, which is awesome. Uh, let's talk about Numenera just a little bit. So, um, because I think Numenera, it's safe to say, is a hit. People really love it. Um, I really love it. It's a really fun uh, game. Uh, what is sort of the the elevator pitch for Numenera? <laughs> so uh the elevator pitch is um that it is a billion years in the future and uh you're living in a society sort of that is amid the ruins of all these other societies that have risen and fallen on earth in that vast vast amounts of time and so even though your society is not very advanced you're surrounded by the remnants of these advanced societies. And so there's all this technology around, but to you, it seems like magic. So it's a, it's a game that feels like a fantasy game, but it's actually science fiction. So you said, you know, obviously you, you double majored and learned a lot about history and stuff so that you could go ahead and uh, be able to make games. Um, Do you think that studying history helped you design a game a billion years in the future? The setting of Numenera, which is uh, referred to as the Ninth World, kind of the the core of it, you know, humanity humanity is kind of rising again or has reappeared on Earth, and and uh, they have, you know, I, I I refer to it as sort of a medieval level of sophistication, but that's actually not a hundred percent true. It's actually closer to more like ancient civilization like the ancient um, Middle East actually and uh, and so you know having a familiarity with that and sort of the governmental structures and and the societal norms and stuff like that I mean that's that's always useful whenever you're whenever you're working on something like that um, but you know all the rest of it, you know, the crazy advanced technology and, and the, the, all of that, all that comes from, uh, 
a lot of research, but nothing to do with history and everything to do with sort of uh, technology and science and, and futurism. Um, you know, I've done a lot of, of research into, you know, biotech and nanotechnology and, and, you know, evolution, you know, where, where things will take us and, and, you know, astronomy, right? Because, uh, the entire solar system in a billion years is going to be a very different place. The moon is farther from the earth. So the days are longer, right? The sun is, well, you know, one of the interesting things about a billion years in the future is is that life shouldn't even really be possible, (laughs) Um, because the sun's luminosity is increasing and, and in that, in the Numenera setting is an intriguing thing because you have to assume, well, somebody did something about that, right? But what did they do? And did they change the sun in the past? Did they, you know, what did they do? And and we don't know, uh, or at least the, you know, the ninth worlders don't know. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's all very interesting. It's, it's topics that I really love. I love reading about them and, and extrapolate, extrapolating ideas like that. Um, yeah, it, it's a real kick for me. So when you're designing a game, does the story, you know, like does the, the world and everything, is that what comes first for you? Is it looking at a set of mechanics and saying, okay, these are the mechanics I want to use. What story fits great into it? Um, you know, or is it something else entirely? The, the best analogy that I can come up with for that issue is songwriting, right? If you listen to people who are songwriters, they'll talk about developing a melody and then developing lyrics, right? And some people think the lyrics first, and some people think the melody first. And and really, you know, it, it's this melding of two things which comes together, and, and things aren't really finished until you've got both, right? And, you know, game design is really kind of similar to that, right? You've got mechanics, and you've got a world. You know, for me, it, it, it doesn't always come together in the same way. Um, it, it, it's whatever, wherever the inspiration sort of strikes. You know, for Numenera specifically, to just use that as an example, both the setting and the system, or kind of the, the core nugget ideas of them anyway, were both ideas that came to me a very long time ago, actually the early 90s, but I hadn't actually thought to put them together until you know about 2011 2012 and uh, and then it and then it developed from there where do you get your uh your sort of world ideas you know um like oh let's go a billion years in the future you know where, where does that come from <laughs> well so i mean that particular one well there's a couple of ideas at work there i guess you know i had long long time ago i had sort of this this vision of, you know, sort of these magicians or priests or something like that. And they're, they're casting a spell or doing a ritual. But when you looked closely, what they were actually doing as they, you know, chanted the magic words and waved their hands around or whatnot was, you know, they had a device, right, that they were actually activating as a part of their ritual and and i thought okay well that's interesting you know because normally we think of that as like charlatans right you know i'm pretending to be a wizard but i've actually got this this technology which is making me look like a wizard but then i thought well you know what if what if they they weren't trying to fool anyone right what if they also believed that you know they've got this device but what if they believed that it was magic right and and this whole idea had grown up around it that you've got to say the magic words and you've got to you know make the gestures and burn the incense or whatever and then you know touch these three places on this touch screen <laughs> um you know uh and 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 that they were sincere in their belief that that's how magic worked um, I, I was very intrigued by that. And, and so, you know, uh, it would have been just as easy, I suppose, to create that as a completely fictional setting. Uh, but I mean, by, by that, I mean, not on earth, you know, like a, like an alternate universe or planet or something. Um, but then I just started thinking about, uh, the ideas behind, you know, what, what people call deep time or geologic time, right? Where, 
you know, thinking about how humans, we're just not very good at looking at really, really long-term stuff and, and how things can change. And so I started thinking about, well, what, what are, what's the world going to be like a uh, hundred thousand years in the future, a million years. And then I just like, well, what about a billion years? And started doing a lot of research and, and, and literally there is enough time, you know, they, uh, there's, I can't remember exactly what the figure is anymore, but there's like, it's something like, uh, 80 million years is the time frame that from, from sort of the point of, of starting to evolve to like incredibly high technology, right? You could, if you've got 80 million years, you could potentially evolve and develop a whole, you know, like interstellar society, right? Um, and I thought, well, in a billion years, you could literally have had that happen many times. And, and that was where the idea of the ninth world came along and, and that interesting idea that it's, it's like post-apocalyptic kind of thing, right? Where you've got people who, you know, know that there was some crazy stuff in the past. But what if there was multiple crazy things from the past, right? You know, different civilizations and how it would just get so jumbled. Um, and that's kind of what led. <laughs> them to believe, you know, to just not really even equate those with like, oh, well, that's just the past and, you know, the development right now, it's all just magic. That's kind of where that comes from. Yeah, that is awesome. So, I mean, it's, it's very cool to hear, like, you know, it starts with a seed of an idea or, or an image and then it grows into this uh, whole world, which right. is amazing. You know, um, so it's it's cool to see like how does how does an experienced game designer's mind work, uh, and a storyteller like yourself, how does this, how does that mind work? So we should talk about uh, Tolus. Uh, you recently wrote on uh, the Monty Cook Games blog, right? Right. Um, uh, that it's been ten years since your world of uh, Tolus was uh, created and published. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Tolus. Uh, what is Tolus? In 2001, I left Wizards of the Coast after helping design third edition and started Malhavik Press, which uh, was a, a, a D20 publisher, basically, and uh, design studio is what I called it. And, uh, you know, the whole time, you know, we, we put out a bunch of products through Malhavik Press, uh, which was a lot of fun and everything. But the whole time, uh, the game that I'd actually been running was the game that I had started, the campaign that I'd started campaign world I'd created to playtest third edition eventually decided this is what I want to publish right I want it but but this you know Tolis meant so much to me uh it meant a game you know I, I literally ran two campaigns in this world you know taking people from first to 20th level I mean it was just just a huge part of my life many game masters will tell you right their world becomes really really important to them and so i really wanted to do something special with tolis you know i mean the the sort of the standard model for a campaign setting is you put out a a big book or maybe a box set or something and then you put out a whole slew of of follow up supplements and you know every country gets a product and adventures and everything and i just thought to myself what if we went a different way what if we put all of that stuff all in one product and so just boom you have it you have the whole thing and you know this obviously would become this really massive massive sort of product and so Talos is a oh i'm gonna forget i think 672 page book um and uh you know, it's it, we we just we pulled out all the stops, made it as deluxe as we could. Got Todd Lockwood to do the cover. It's got a textured stone cover. It's got uh, multiple cloth bookmarks bound in, and you know, a a package in the back that has a CD-ROM with like three hundred and some extra pages of content and and player handouts and a map and just everything that you know we could possibly put in there. Um, but you know, the thing that, that really has stuck with me as far as Talos goes is, is, um, and when I say we, I mean, um, my, you know, the, the person that I worked with at Malhavik Press was, uh, my wife at the time, Sue Weinlein. And, um, you know, we products that were like it, you know, uh, campaign settings and stuff like that. And we thought, what if we went a different way? 
And so we started looking at travel guides and travel books. And particularly, there's a series of travel books um, called, from a publisher called DK. And uh, they're, they're just fabulous, right? They're lavishly illustrated. And they're really well organized because, you know, when you're traveling, you know, if you go to England and, you know, you suddenly find yourself in Cork, right? You want to be able to find that information really fast, right? And, and kind of get to it really quickly and, and get to the meat. You don't want to be paging through all this history of England or something like that. So, um, it's, it's, they're really well organized and, um, there's lots and lots of page references. Uh, they do a thing like where up in the corner, there's a map that, sh so, it, it, you know, when you're looking at a page, you can look up at the corner and you can see exactly where this is in the context of the, of the place. Right. And so we stole all those ideas, right. And we put them all in Tullus. And so, you know, when you're looking at this book, uh, you've got, um, you know, if, if there's a, uh, NPC or a place or an object, uh, organization, whatever it is that's mentioned in the text, it'll be done in a separate color that, so that you know that you, when you see that, you know, oh, it's, this word is in blue, you look over to the margin and it's got either more information or a page where you can look for more information about that. And so, you know, because a 672 page book, if you just plonked that down in front of a game master, they'd say, well, that's great and everything, but how on earth do I use that? You know, I, I, you, we were talking about game design a minute ago, and, and one of the things that sort of behooves a game designer, I think, is to not just create cool things, right? Not just come up with great ideas, but, um, but figure out how to allow somebody to use those ideas best, right? To, to make it usable and, and easy, um, at the game table. And so, Tolis, even though it's this gigantic book, I think is is probably one of the easiest books to use in that way. There's all this great referential stuff. And, you know, here now, 10 years later, I'm, I'm still using a lot of that uh, uh, formatting and ideas for, for how a, a product ought to be displayed and, and presented and formatted. Um, still today, right? It, you look at Numenera or any MCG product and you'll find the whole, you know, page references off to the side idea and notes on the side and, um, you know, lots of good indexes and, and things like that. Because, you know, I, I run a lot of games and, it, it it can be a pain in the ass. <laughs> you know, you got you got to manage all this information. You've got to, uh, you know, gemming's hard. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it behooves a game designer, I think, to make it as easy as possible. And you know, I mean, so so Tullus, I think that's that's half of its legacy. And the other half of its legacy is that it you know it showed that there was a market for that kind of lavish deluxe and, and, you know, let's be honest, right. Expensive mm -hmm. product. Right. And up until that point that nobody had really touched that market in RPGs very much. Um, you know, there was collectible stuff because it was rare and so it was expensive, but there was, nobody went out of their way really very much to, to make something really deluxe for somebody who wanted that kind of treatment. And now you see that pretty often, right? You mentioned Kickstarter before. Lots of people are doing, you know, a deluxe version of their game, you know, for the people who want that on Kickstarter. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're addressing that different gamers have different desires and needs, and Kickstarter is great for that. Yeah, yeah, it totally is, right? Because you can say, well, this is how many uh, we can make of this special deluxe product, and you can put a gate. Or you can say, this is how much you should expect to pay if you want it. But hey, if you if you don't want the super deluxe, here's the regular version, and you can exactly. buy into that instead. Right, because everybody's different, and everybody wants something different. And, and you know, I'm I'm a huge proponent of whether you're talking about format or or rules or whatever right i mean i want to be able to give people what they want and so 
you know, if, if you don't like the game that I've designed, that's fine. There's a million other games to play. And I think that that's awesome. And, and, you know, that's, that's why, you know, you know, when people were fighting over third edition versus fourth edition D and D and all that stuff, I, I just thought it was all stupid, right? Play the game you want to play. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I feel the same exact way, right? Like play, play whatever you want to play and just have a good time doing it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's dumb to make fun of somebody for liking whatever they like. And it must be like, it must be so interesting for you to see the legacy of a product like this, because like you said, a lot of people are doing this now. You know, a lot of people are, are making, you know, huge six, 700 page books that have every Everything and more you need to to play a complete game that have all these really helpful references and things like that. I think it really helps um, when a person who plays a lot of games is designing a game. Uh, And I assume, based on what I read on your blog and following you on Twitter and stuff like that, you're playing a lot of games. Is that right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty hardcore gamer. Mm-hmm. That's that is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's great. I mean, it's it's amazing, and it, I feel like it makes your company's output really great. Uh, you know, not just the quantity of product, but also the quality of product being output. You can tell as being made by people who love to make games and the kind of product you're talking about to make that 10 years ago was crazy. Um, you know, it was absolutely nuts. And it's only the kind of thing that someone who loves games would say, you know, there's other people like me out there who want this quality product who are, who are sort of willing to spend more money on a product like this, um, who would think to do it and open the floodgates for sure. Well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm glad that that, that shows through in, in that product and, and the products that we're doing now. So thanks. Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. And speaking of, uh, you know, buying products, uh, I wanted to talk to you about another one of your blog posts. Um, so, uh, you, you recently published a blog post about how, um, you know, as I'm sure many GMs who listen to this podcast will be familiar with the burden of buying all of the books (laughs) falls on the GM and that maybe that really shouldn't be the case if everybody enjoys playing the game. And I was hoping you could just talk about that, uh, post a little bit. Well, you know, that's the interesting other side of this, right? Um, you know, speaking as someone who 10 years ago came out with a $120 book um, and, you know, continues to put out, you know, our Numenera is a $60 product, uh, uh, you know, The Stranges as well. Um, and, you know, and, and uh, the stuff that I'm doing is not alone, right? There's uh, games are expensive. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying they're not a good value for your for your money. I think they're actually great if you figure in all the hours of fun and enjoyment you get out of a good game. Somewhere along the line, really early on, I think, when our role-playing games first started, we kind of fell into this model where it's always the game master who ends up buying the game. And, 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 and the follow-up stuff, too, right? Because... Uh, you know, the the game master runs the adventure, so he buys the adventure. You know, he he's going to set something in a certain world, right? Or so, uh, you know, the game master buys the source book, and we, it makes sense. Like if you look at it from kind of a collecting point of view, which which a lot of gamers do, and I get that, right? I, I want to have a big game collection. I want to have all my favorite games on my shelf. I get that, right? I, I have I have some of that in me too. But, you know, it's everybody around the table who is enjoying that game, that adventure, that source book. And it, it just strikes me that that there's kind of an inequity. We you know, game masters in role playing games, they more often than not, there's always exceptions, right? But more often than not, they're the person who goes out and finds out about a cool new game, buys that game, reads that game, and then teaches the whole rest of the group how to play that game. And that's a, and then runs the game, right? <laughs> Which is just a lot of burdens. And, you know, I, I guess really the, the point of, of the article that I wrote really just comes down to this, right? Like, as a game master, 
I can't think of a higher compliment than you that you could pay me than if you or if the whole group like chipped in, you know, especially with, you know, some, you know, like a $60 Numenera or a $120 Tolis back in the day or, or, you know, whatever the, the next thing is, right, that, that's expensive. You know, if the group chipped in on that and they said, hey, we think you're a great game master. This looks like a fun game. You know, here you go. Would you run this for us? Right. That I think any game master would be just blown away by that <laughs> and would would probably run the best game that anyone's ever <laughs> run. Right. Because you'd be like, wow, these people are so invested in this particular game and, so, and think so highly of me that they want me to run it. Right. I am going to make sure to run the best game they've ever played in. Oh yeah, that would be so. That'd be so moving, uh, you know. Not to get too, you know, sappy or anything about it, but yeah, it would be super. Like, wow, yeah, of course, what an honor, uh, you know. Uh, especially if it's the people you've been organizing and teaching the rules to and buying the stuff for all this time, and really, you know, the burden spent uh, of a sixty dollar book right on ten or on six people is ten bucks each, right. Uh, so, Less than a movie, right? I mean, that's it's great. Yeah, and you're going to get a lot more entertainment out of it too. That is for sure, right? Absolutely. It had never even occurred to me to to bring this up to my players uh, when I saw <laughs> that you had written it, and I was like, "Well, it's hard, great. right?" I mean, it's, I mean, you. Hey, guys, how about kicking in some some money? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What you have to do is passive aggressively post the blog post <laughs> on social media and then sort of hope that, you know, <laughs> your players stumble across it. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I think it's a, I think it's a really, really great, uh, great thing. Um, and, uh, you know, we should, uh, we should talk a little bit here because, uh, you have very kindly given us an exclusive code, um, for the Monty Cook's game store. So if people, go uh, and shop on the Monty Cook's Game Store which we'll link in the show notes for this episode over at thetomeshow.com but uh, the URL uh, just in case people want that is uh, montycookgames.com right? Right. So if you use the code TOMESHOWJULY2016, uh, you're going to get $5 off. So that's TOMESHOWJULY2016. Uh, we'll also mention it uh, at the beginning and end of the podcast when I do the intro and outro for this thing. Um, but let's talk kind of about what's on sale there at Monty Cook Games right now. Summer is a big time for us. Mm -hmm. uh, so we got a lot of cool stuff there. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, No Thank You Evil. Mm -hmm. which came out a little bit earlier this year. Um, no Thank You Evil is our game for families. So you awesome. Can, so you awesome. can start, you know, it, I call it a game for family, or we call it a game for families and not a game for kids. Because here's the thing, right? If you make a game for six-year-olds, well, who has, you know, five six-year-olds? <laughs> Nobody, right? It, you, you know, if, you, if you've got a family, you've got a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a ten-year-old, Right. And, and so what we wanted to do was make a game that uh, could work for everybody, right, including mom or dad. And, and so – and, you know, maybe even that 10-year-old could run the game, right, and, and learn, learn how to do that. So we, we made a game that was very flexible within the play. You know, not all the characters have to be a, sort of the same level of complexity. You can make things simpler or harder. Um, based on the players at the table and you know uh we're very very proud of that game and it just got nominated for uh an any award for family games and so we're very excited about that one so i want to mention that one but we also have a bunch of other cool stuff for uh you know for numenera we um recently came out with a book called into the deep which is all about underwater adventuring and making underwater adventuring interesting and cool and exciting and not a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but also we have a book coming out that's almost here um, that you can pre-order. And I'm sure that coupon code will work for a pre-order as well. I, I, yeah, I'm sure it will. Um, and it is, it's uh, our torment source book, which uh, it is. So there we're doing a, a, a computer game for Numenera called Torment, Tides of Numenera. 
and uh, it's produced by In Exile Studios. And it's really, really cool. It's going to come out, I think, uh, the beginning of next year. But we are coming out with sort of the source book now that is, you know, if you want to take the ideas from the computer game and put them in the tabletop game, um, you you can because basically they've they've taken like a small section of the of the ninth world and and you explore it in the computer game and now all of that stuff you can put in your regular game and so if you're interested in that computer game this is a great preview you know if you don't even care one whit about the computer game it's still a really really cool Numenera source book so it's it's kind of something for everybody. Um, we also uh, came out with, for the Cypher system, uh, Bruce Cordell wrote uh, a product called Gods of the Fall, which mm. is something really different for us. It is, it's a standalone setting. It uses the Cypher system. You need the Cypher system rulebook to play it. Um, but the premise there is you are uh, uh, sort of, well, you're in a world where the gods have all died and heaven has collapsed. And you begin to realize that you have sort of a divine spark within you. And it is within your, it's within your power. If you, if you pursue your destiny, right, that you can become a God and restore heaven. And, and, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and it's, uh, a lavishly illustrated, beautiful book it's it's got lots of imaginative, cool ideas. A really kind of dark fantasy world. Uh, we're very excited about that. I mean, there are a lot of really great products. If people haven't checked out the Cipher system, uh, this is definitely the time to do so. Um, so, because there's a, a lot of great things in there. Uh, get some games going over the summer. Um, and uh, and I, if you're going to Gen Con, uh, you can definitely check that out. Uh, and uh, Monte, you'll be at Gen Con as well, right? Uh, probably with a lot of people from your company there. Yeah, um, the whole the whole company will be there. Plus, a lot of people where we've got a ton of uh games that we're running um i think despite the fact that we're running like a hundred and some games they're all i think as of right now they're all full um we we actually hear from gen con that that numenera and cypher system games are one of their most requested games which is always great to hear right um, there's nothing. There's no. There's no nothing better that you can hear as a game designer than people really want to play your game, right? Mm, sure. <laughs> so, sure. Um, but but we are going to have demos in our booth, and uh, of all of our games, no thank you evil, as well as Cypher System and and Numenera and um, and, and everything, and and uh, we're going to be running some really interesting events. We have. I want to mention this one thing in particular. Uh, we. We did it last year. We're going to do it again this year. It's called Instant Adventures. And basically it combines the idea of a role-playing game with, with like theatrical improv. Nice. And the idea is, is that um, I and uh, I think it'll be four players are just going to show up and the audience is going to provide the, the setting, the, you know, who the characters are, um, and then while the players are off, you know, making characters really quick, they're going to give, you know, suggestions for what the plot should be, the villains and all, the whole thing, right? Is all, and then we'll, and then we'll just run that game uh, with no prep. And, uh, last year it was a lot of fun. In fact, if you want, um, it's, the whole thing is on YouTube. Just look for instant adventures with Monty Cook. And uh, it's, it's actually pretty funny. We had, uh, um, in addition to some some Monty Cook staff people, myself, Bruce Cordell, and Shauna Germain, we uh, we had Jen Page, um, who is a actor from Gamers movies and a bunch of cool stuff, and uh, Tom Lommel, who uh, kind of goes by the name the Dungeon Bastard sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it was just hilarious the whole thing. Wow, that's awesome. That's really fun. I missed that last year, uh, but I definitely want to check it out this year. That sounds amazing. Yeah, definitely should. 
Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, I guess we should also uh, congratulate you. You've got three uh, Emmy nominations. Yeah, uh, thank you've you. mentioned No Thank You, Evil, but it uh, looks like also the uh, Numenera box set, uh, which I know got a lot of praise. Uh, I did not get in on that uh, at the Kickstarter. And when I saw people, you know, posting their pictures and stuff on Twitter, I was like, oh, man, that looks amazing. Um, and, well, that's uh, another example of the sort of super deluxe products that we were just talking talking about oh yeah it is and it is cool it's got so much stuff in the box uh and then also the encyclopedia of impossible things is nominated Um, that's right yeah that's a very cool source book just all filled with all kinds of cool uh uh items and artifacts and and whatnot um that you can use for well it's it's written for this uh our game the strange but you could really use it for any cypher system game so, um, you know, and, and, uh, we didn't even really talk about the strange, uh, but, uh, right. so if you want to give people the real quick, the skinny on the strange, cause that's also a really great game from you guys. Yeah. So it uses the cipher system, which is the system that Numenera uses. It's all totally compatible. Um, uh, but the, the idea of the strange is, um, that you know the the player characters start out probably on Earth, modern day. Everything is normal, right? But they they learn pretty quickly that there is this sort of realm beyond our realm called the Strange. And the cool thing about the Strange is that fiction from our world leaks into the Strange and becomes reality and takes on these these locations called recursions. And so you might go to a recursion that is based on, you know, a fantasy novel, but you could also then go to another recursion that's based on like Sherlock Holmes and London of that time. And, and, you know, and then another one that's a science fiction space opera and, and they all really exist. And so, uh, you know, literally game masters can take their absolute favorite novels, stories, whatever TV shows, movies, and have their characters go to that place. And, uh, and the strange kind of, uh, explains how characters, uh, travel from place to place, which is, which we call translating. And the cool thing about translating is, is that you don't just show up there. No, not nothing, uh, to use, not, no, no context, right? You show up within the context of the world. So if you go to a, fantasy world your character might um you know be be a wizard mm-hmm. right and then your that same character might then travel to a, a cyberpunk world where you're a hacker right <laughs> and uh you know it, and it all works because of the the flexibility of the cypher system that's awesome it's like a it's like the ultimate hollow deck experience. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, but but everything is real, uh which is really really cool. Um so uh so yeah, so there's all these you have all these great products that you've created. You created, you know, um you mentioned you worked on 3rd edition Dungeons and Dragons, uh which is kind of, you know, it's still around uh when you think about Pathfinder, right? Like yeah. um and people are still making products based off that D20 system engine and everything. Uh, do you ever look around at, at, you know, look back at everything you've created and think like, man, that was a, I did a ton of work there, <laughs> you know, like I should be really proud. Cause I really think you should, um, you've definitely made an impact on this industry in a big, big measurable way. Uh, and so thank you, uh, from me, uh, because as at 10 years old, I was very hard for me to understand, you know, um, second edition D and D and if third edition hadn't come along, I may never have continued with role-playing games or things like that. Are you proud of this legacy that you've, uh, and this impact you've had on gaming and will continue I, to have? I mean, you're a young dude. There's more to come. I'm sure. I hope so. Um, yeah, I I am very proud, actually. Um, I'm really happy with the way a lot of things have turned out. Um, you know, a lot of sort of dream projects have, have become reality, uh, which is always great. And, you know, at the risk of getting a little sappy, um, you know, just hearing from people and hearing about like the 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 joy and the fun the games that I have worked on 
have brought to their lives, right? And and the friends that they've made. I mean, I've I've talked to people who met their spouse, you know, playing in a third edition D and D game, right? Or or you know, um, God, I got this. Uh, we're gonna really go down the the kind of sappy road here. <laughs> uh, I got this letter, and it was probably the probably the best letter I've ever gotten. It was actually a, a physical letter in the mail, and uh, this guy sent it to me and. He said that, um, you know, he, he didn't have any friends. He didn't know how to make friends. Um, he was, you know, he felt very alone in the world. He was very lonely. And this was like a, a, a young high school kid. And, uh, he fell in with a group of, uh, third edition D and D players. And, uh, suddenly, you know, he, kind of learned how to interact with people, how to make friends, right? He, he had this group of friends and, you know, developed real rich relationships with them. And, you know, and, and at the time he said, you know, I, I think I'll be friends with these people for the rest of my life. And I wouldn't have had that, uh, if I, if it wasn't for D and D and, and that, that meant so much to me, right? I mean, the ability to actually change someone's life for the better that way. Uh, I can't think of anything more rewarding than that. Yeah, that is true. And that's awesome. And I do think, you know, those are the stories you hear about, and I'm sure there's more and more of those going on that you haven't heard about too. Right. Um, Right. You know, which is incredible and, uh, and amazing and really what games are all about, you know, um, which is awesome. So, uh, so before we, before we wrap up here, uh, is there anything about the future, uh, that you're working on that you can give us a hint about at the moment? (laughs) Um, well, you know, you know, we're, we're actively, uh, supporting, you know, the games that we have. Um, but I'm always looking into the future, farther than that too you know i'm never i'm I'm sort of never satisfied uh always always looking for you know a way to do something even better you know one of the things that i've been thinking about is is i don't want to go too deep into this topic it's a big one um but you know the the number one comment that i hear over and over and over again is man I, i i love all these games i wish i had i wish i could get a group together wish I had more time to play. I wish that getting the group together was easier, but you know, I've got kids and they've got jobs and you know, all this stuff. Right. And, and, and it's hard. Um, even back in the late nineties, when we were working third edition, we, we said, you know, D and biggest competition is not some other role-playing game. D and biggest competition is real life, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know what all the answers to those situations are, but, or those, those, those challenges are, but I think that that's sort of the next hurdle. That's the thing that we're going to have. Those are the problems we're going to have to solve, um, as, as game designers, um, to make the games easier to play in that way, right? Not just easier rules, but an easier way to get them out there. And we're, and we're starting to see stuff like that, right? Where, you know, you've got things like Roll20 or, or just people playing on Skype or, or, you know, all these things where people are doing things that make it easier for them to connect, right? Because that's what role-playing games are all about is connecting with other people. And, and uh, you know, I think the next sort of step of RPG evolution is going to be figuring out how to, how to make that work. Well, I'm really glad to hear you say that because I think that's definitely the truth. And, uh, and I think, you know, by going over your history today, we've, we've proven that you're kind of a, a thought leader, uh, in the industry. So, uh, so I'm excited to see kind of where that line of thinking takes you and, and where you go next. And I can't wait to play the game, uh, when it comes cool. out. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, just before we go, where can people find you, uh, on the internet if they want to, you know, um, tweet lovely, nice things about the games you write and everything? Oh, uh, well, um, so the website's montycookgames.com. Um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, uh, Monty J. Cook. Um, we're on Monty Cook Games as a Facebook page. Uh, we're on G Plus. 
we're we're all over Instagram, all those things. Awesome, awesome, and we'll link it all up in the show notes at thetomeshow.com for this episode. Uh, Monty Cook, thank you so much for being on the roundtable today. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. Absolutely. Hey, everybody, don't forget to use that code Tome Show July 2016 in the Monty Cook Games store at montycookgames.com to get $5 off your order. And before we go, there's a final segment we do every week here on the roundtable. It's time for our DMs Guild pick of the episode. This week's pick is 18 cursed magic items from Jeff C. Stevens. Every once in a while, it's fun to have your players come across a cursed item. Perhaps one is found in a treasure trove on a rotting body, sitting on a dusty shelf in a merchant shop, or found lying in the road. Cursed items can add a lot of fun to the adventure, changing characters' actions, foiling a plan, or you can even have a whole quest centered around them. Included is the bag of not-so-holding, the gibberish amulet, beauty of my eye, boots of the swamp, sheepskin boots, the key to something, the mighty dagger, and so many other things. The slippery weapon, the sword of self-deprecation. Hold your orcs bow. Come on, guys. The birthday robe. This is amazing. Check it out. It is $1 for 18 cursed magic items. That is a steal. You can get a direct link to 18 cursed magic items over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. Before we go, I'd like to thank my guest one final time, Monty Cook, for coming on the show. Man, that was amazing. All right, everyone, you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, my Emmy-nominated blog, which you should go vote for right now at any-awards.com. It's called World Builder Blog, and it's at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games over there, as well as information about Exploration Age, the 5th edition world that I'm building. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the roundtable.